Please turn also to the New Testament. We're at Ephesians chapter 6. The text for this morning is Ephesians 6, verse 18. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, verse 18. Begin reading from Ephesians 6, verses 10. We'll read through verse 20. This also is God's holy word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and, and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our compassionate Father, we thank you, Father, that you have given us your word, that your word is clear, that your word is true, that your word is necessary for us. We cannot get by without it. Father, we pray in thanks that your word is authoritative in our lives. Father, that you have commanded us to pray, and may we do so. May we not think thoughts of of seemingly rational thoughts of why pray if you know what will happen. Instead, Father, may we obey you at your word. May we trust in your goodness, your mercy, and your power. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us in the worship of you and in prayer. Father, we thank you that we do not know what we ought to pray, but your Holy Spirit instructs us of all these things. Father, we thank you for your provision. We pray, Father, if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, that you might do a mighty work of conversion. Father, that you are the one who saves sinners, that you are the one who forgives, and that you delight when sinners come to you. Father, we pray that you would teach us all our duty to pray, that we might persevere in it, that we might turn to you often. Thank you for your provision. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that our Lord Jesus would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Children, has it been the case that you've attempted some type of project where you did not want your parents' help? You wanted to show your family how you were able to get it all done. Try to imagine if uh, something went wrong. Maybe there was a clog in the sink and the sink was overflowing and it got worse. At what point would you say, I think I'm in need of assistance. I should ask someone for help, perhaps even an older brother or sister, or maybe my parents. Here, oftentimes it seems as if we don't go as quickly as we should to prayer because we like to be able to accomplish things on our own. And so we may not be so quick to go to our God. Here, part of Christian maturity is realizing not our independence from God, but maturity is realizing our dependence on God and how quickly, how often we go to him. Here, we think about how the physical and the spiritual life are opposites. Part of the desire is that as children uh, uh, grow up, 
that they would need to come to us less and less, especially for money. And here, we think about how the spiritual life is the opposite. The more mature we are, it's not as if we need God less. We've always needed Him the same. It's the perception. But we come to Him more and more often in prayer. And that maturity is realizing that greater dependence. So the immature wouldn't go to God very often. The immature are those who must go to God more and more often for more and more basic things. Here, as we think through this book of Ephesians, the apostle presents to us our Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. He presents to us his beloved bride, the church. And as he's closing up this letter, we see it often in many of Paul's letters that toward the end, he speaks about prayer. You think about Colossians, you think about Philippians and some of the others that he's often mentioning prayer. In the context of the armor of God, we see that there's, there's no article uh, analogous to prayer. And some would say it's wrong to include it in the armor, but it's, it's tacked on there. And uh, it's no coincidence that prayer is there. You think about the weapons. Uh, the articles are defensive. The sword is defensive, but the sword is the only one that is defensive and offensive. And then you have also prayer. Perhaps you can think of it as the long-range weapon. So the truth that we see in this passage, this verse, Ephesians 6.18, to survive your warfare against the powers of darkness, you must be prompt and persevering in spirit-led prayer. To survive your warfare against the powers of darkness, you must be prompt and persevering in spirit-led prayer. We'll look at this in five points. The first, the timing of prayer. Second, the theme of prayer. Third, the types of prayer. Fourth, the tenacity of prayer. And fifth, the topic of prayer. <clears throat> so the first point, the timing of prayer, is in all seasons. So praying at all times in the spirit. Here, we think about how the Apostle Paul has given us uh, in this letter what we are to believe concerning God and what duties God requires of us. That's the two halves. The first half, Ephesians 1 through 3, we have what we ought to believe concerning God. And then the second half, chapters 4 through 6, is how then ought we to live, the duties that God requires of us. Here, We've covered the armor of God, the six articles. And there's no mention of an article that's analogous to prayer. But we see that there was some type of coupling uh, regarding the sword of the Spirit. <clears throat> so he, used, he refers to the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. But then he couples that with, well, there's also prayer that is in the Spirit. And here we think about prayer. That prayer is one of those things that's like the most basic expression of faith. So that along with obedience, and you think about prayer, prayer is obedience because we're commanded to pray. So how, how is faith manifested in you, the life of a Christian? It's manifested by obedience. It's manifested in prayer. So if you ask, well, how, how do we know that person's a Christian? then you look at the outward evidences. It's, is the person obeying the Lord? Is he fearing God? Is he fearing man? And if he's obeying the Lord, then is, it, is his faith manifested in his dependence in prayer? Here we think about this timing, this occasion, the timing factor. Pray at all times. So in Greek, there's two words for time. One is the word used here. And it's more about opportunity or season of time. The other time refers to quantity or sequential time. But here, the Apostle Paul is referring that we ought to pray uh, in all seasons. Other versions say always. Uh, well, we, perhaps we can establish that by, by uh, other passages. Is it First Thessalonians? He's, he says pray unceasingly. So that's pray, praying all the time. We ought to be praying all the time. But here, he's emphasizing the matter of praying in all seasons, in all occasions. We think about some of these particular occasions or seasons of your life that you ought to pray in your youth. 
while you have it. For those of you who are considered youth, you ought to learn to depend on God in prayer. And you ought to learn to depend upon him early. Establish good spiritual disciplines. Establish good habits. Here, you think about how David in the Psalms refers to uh, the sins of his youth. Uh, Flee the evil desires of youth, but pursue righteousness, holiness, uh, and love, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That you ought to be establishing these good habits, even from your youth, that you would go to God in prayer, that you would trust in him that you will learn to depend upon him in your youth. It applies also in your prime, in the prime of life. When you're busy in school, you're busy at work, you're busy with raising children or grandchildren, you're busy with your social life. Ah, it's particularly during those busy times that the Lord expects you that you would prioritize what is his you would prioritize worship, that you would prioritize prayer. How often do you see it? When there are transitions, physical transitions, uh, transitions and phases of your life, it's the things that are toward the bottom of your priority list that get dropped off. Have you noticed that? So here, there's friends who were very faithful uh, when we were in college. And then somehow they're transitioning into the workforce that they moved. And then there was, oh, this priority thing dropped. See also when there's physical transitions. Oh, I had this great church. I was very faithful. And then I moved to another place and it dropped. Here we think about the transitions of life then. The priority of worship and prayer. That you must balance life. We all, we all have 24 hours a day. We only have each seven days per week. We all have that limitation. Some of us have greater limitations regarding health, strength, vitality. But the time is all the same for all of us. We're called to prioritize what is important to the Lord. And we think also about the twilight years of your life. For those who are advanced in age... Strength, energy has, be, has started to dwindle. And here, let me give you a hint. For those of you in this category, if someone needs to move or someone has to move a couch, you don't need to be the first volunteer to do that anymore. Okay? You, that's, this, is, this is not you. you you're, you're free to say, hey, listen, uh, my back naturally arches down. So, so uh, I, I don't need to be bending over to pick up that couch. But here, you can serve others in, in ways that are suitable for your state. Serving others less by the hard physical labor, but more by your words, by your counsel, by your encouragement, by your prayer. Even as you've gone through the thick and thin of it. That wisdom learned over the years. Seeing the big picture that these are words that are necessary for others. Here also, you think about different seasons and occasions. Seasons of poverty. Here, we look at it. Seasons of poverty. What better way has God given us that we might pray for our daily bread when he has given us seasons of poverty? Here the world thinks, well, if you're a Christian, then God will give you health and wealth. He's never told us that in his word. He's told us that he will provide for us. And here, we think about the challenges of life. How many people reject God and forget him in poverty? Perhaps some, but far fewer than those who forget him in wealth and prosperity. And that's the other season. Times of plenty, times of prosperity... Pray especially that you will not forget God, or for that matter, the needs of others. That we would learn to, to see these things. That we would see God's hand at work in our lives. That he is the one who provides all these things. You just think about 
the life of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4. And God warned him that he's standing in, in his palace. He's looking out at the great city. He's looking at his great kingdom of Babylon. He says, did, not, deny, did I not build all of this? And no sooner did he finish speaking those words that God made him into some kind of a beast with dew and, and feathers and, and, and to, to crawl around on the ground and eat grass for, for however many seasons. Here we think about how beastly we become when we forget God in our pride, in our, in our plenty and prosperity. Here we also think about seasons of distress. In seasons of distress in your life, let's, let's just be honest. Who among you, who among us, would be diligent and faithful in prayer unless God sent us distress so that we might pray to him? How quickly do those distresses pass? And then we say, oh, I had this great relationship with God, but now there's not a need and I can do my own things. I can live my life my own way again. You ask yourself, is it cruelty of God to bring distress your way? It seems like it's not the case. It's actually his mercy so that we would draw close to him in prayer. That distress would be good. That we would see our dependence. That we would grow in it. That we would learn the discipline of prayer. That we might continue it. Here, we think about the all times and all seasons of life. That we ought to pray. And it's because the powers of darkness are unending in their attacks against us. Because the powers of darkness are always opposed to us. That we ought always and we ought in every season to be diligent in prayer. So that's the first point, the timing of prayer in all seasons. We have the second point, the theme of prayer, in the spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit. Here, one might wonder what this in the spirit means. Well, first we can say that in the spirit means it's not mere words. True prayer is never a matter of words spoken. Here, you think about the pretenders. The pretenders are attracted to and motivated by form and ritual. Jesus warns about pretenders. He uses the phrase, to be seen by men, Matthew 6, 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Here, Jesus is warning, if your prayers are to be seen by men, and that is your goal, you have received your reward in full. What Jesus is saying is, you're not going to get any reward from him. Here, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit and his work in your life is never about mere words spoken. It's about power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but of power. It's not just words said. It's hearts changed. Here, we think also about this meaning of being led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Spirit first must mean that you are indwelt by him. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is sealed. He's given to you as a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that you have in heaven. The Holy Spirit indwells God's people. This is what sets apart uh, those who are in uh, Christ and outside of Christ. When you think about the, the concept of the Passover... There was the blood on the doorposts around the homes of the Israelites. They were the ones who obeyed. They were the ones who slaughtered the lamb and put the blood there. And the destroying angel would pass over. So also, those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, that you've been covered by the blood of Christ, you've been washed clean by his blood. That's, that's what separates you from the non-Christian. So also, the Christian is one who is 
indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here, we think also about the Holy Spirit's work, always aligned with the work of Christ, the work of the Father. We saw that early in Ephesians 2.18. For through him, meaning through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The Holy Spirit is actually the one who leads and directs his people in prayer. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you want to see that in practice? Very simple. Attend a prayer meeting. Somebody shares a prayer request. The prayer request is typically presented as a problem, meaning, hey, I have this problem, or my neighbor has this problem. And listen to how other people pray for that request, because in their own minds, as they pray, they're praying solutions. Do you understand that? So here, the, the Holy Spirit at work in God's people, at work at different times, in different ways, in different manners, in different contexts. But you have a child pray. He's going to pray differently. He's going to see things, see solutions differently, still led by the Holy Spirit. You have an, a, a mature older woman pray. She's going to pray differently. She's going to see problems differently, even as the Holy Spirit reveals to us solutions. Very interesting how God's people are blessed by others as we intercede for them and as we're interceded for. Here, we consider also the result when the Spirit leads you in prayer. The result will be what we see in the entirety of this verse 18. As we think through it again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So what is the result when the Holy Spirit leads you in prayer? The result will be this verse 18, the description about prayer in your life. Here, we think also about how the Holy Spirit necessarily glorifies the Son. John 16, 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the work uh, that Jesus speaks about regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. We look at this comparison. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The presentation that Jesus gives of the Pharisee is Jesus says, the Pharisee went there and prayed about himself. So here you think about false religion or so to say no religion is going to be self-centered, naturally self-centered. He prayed about himself. And then the tax collector prayed to God. He acknowledged his lack, his inability, his weakness. This was spirit-led. He saw the solution and he acknowledged himself as the problem. Spirit-led prayer then will be bring glory to the Son and not to man. It's the very description that John the Baptizer gives about Jesus. He's, he was the one who, who makes straight the way for the Lord. He was preparatory. And he speaks about Jesus and he says, He must increase, I must decrease. So also, as the Holy Spirit leads you in prayer, that you would see you're going to depend upon yourself less and less. And you're going to see God's greatness and depend upon him more and more. Here we see also the positive effect of spirit-led prayer. James says in 5.16, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Meaning that there is a positive effect on that righteous man's life. This is a good thing. That we would seek others out in prayer. That we would seek their guidance. 
that we would be eager to ask of prayer from others. That we might depend upon the Spirit to lead us. We don't know what it is that we need. The Spirit teaches us those things. He guides us by His Word. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. That means what you're saying is I had to sit on my hands and wait. No, not at all. That there ought to be a proactiveness. That there ought to be an eagerness to go to prayer. That there is necessarily discipline. There is necessarily sacrifice and work involved. There is blood, sweat, and tears involved in the Christian life. That we're not waiting for God to do something. So that's the second point. The theme of prayer is in the spirit. We have a third point. The types of prayer. With all prayer and supplication. Here we think about the acrostic acts. A-C-T-S. The various types of prayers that we offer. Adoration. A. Giving praise to God for his attributes. For who God is. C, for confession, repenting of your sins and seeking forgiveness. Again, here, this C, confession, is not merely acknowledging sin in our lives. It is attempting to forsake it, to give it up, to cling to Christ instead, and seeking God's forgiveness. There's thanksgiving, rejoicing and expressing gratitude to God for the mercies that he has given us. And there's supplication. Supplication in the broader category is asking of God for things agreeable to his will. So we're, we're requesting of God something. And we request it both for ourselves and we request it for others. And we think about also the different ways we classify prayer. So we have the, the planned, dedicated prayer. We have that in the example of Jesus, Mark 1.35. Now in the morning... Having risen a long time while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Meaning he set aside time. He got up earlier in the day. In that particular uh, section of Mark, early, is still in Mark chapter 1, but many had been coming to him, bringing their sick and their ill, and the only time that he had where people weren't around was early in the morning. We see the pattern of Daniel. That Daniel got on his knees and prayed three times a day. So there's the dedicated prayer. You set aside time. You plan time. If it's important, you will plan it. It's just like your workout, your physical workout. It's good for your physical body. It's for your, for your, good for your health, good for your emotional, your mental state. Right? If, if your body is, is uh, exercising... And so also, good for your spiritual state that you would spend time in prayer and both must be prioritized. We have also the interjection prayer or the arrow prayers, so to say. These are the uh, one phrase or the one sentence prayers where more often than not, you're not stationary when you're offering them. You might be on the move. You might be on the run, whatever's the case. You're not stationary. You don't have the time. There's nothing wrong with having the, the interjection prayer. A very simple example of this. Second uh, Samuel chapter 15. David is on the run. His son Absalom has led a revolt. He has led a civil war against him. David has the shame of having to leave his home, his palace, his capital of Jerusalem. And as he's leaving, someone says to him, by the way, your trusted counselor, Ahithophel, he is one of those who has gone with Absalom. So then David, he turns and he simply prays to God, Lord, please turn the counsel of, of Ahithophel into foolishness. As he's walking, as he's leaving in the middle of the night, his palace, he sends out this arrow prayer. In the account of 2 Samuel, we see that it was answered, not in the way he asked. God did not turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What he did was, he turned the heart of he who received his counsel into foolishness. So Absalom was a fool. He didn't receive Ahithophel's counsel. He, he took Hushai's counsel, and that led to David's survival and the survival of his men, which is a good thing. 
you see this arrow prayer. We have other types of prayer too. Most all of these that we addressed earlier, this is personal prayer. Personal prayer that you would be devoted to prayer on your own. There's also this concept of intercessory prayer. <coughs> when you pray on behalf of others. We read that earlier in Job chapter 42. That Job was commanded, or actually it was his friends who were commanded... Uh, the ones who accused Job, they were commanded to go to Job. They were supposed to offer sacrifice and ask Job to pray for them. And that God said, after he prays for you, I will receive you. We see also that after Job prayed, the Lord also restored his own fortune, his own faith, his own blessing. We see also in, in Genesis 20, Abraham sinned and that he was afraid. He, he was one who was going to be greatly blessed, but he was doubting that God would spare his life. So he goes to this new place, Gerar, and he tells his, his wife, Sarah, tell them that you're my sister. Well, then, then uh, Abimelech says, hey, this is a beautiful woman, your sister. I'll take her as, into my harem, and then I will, I will greatly give you all these gifts, Abraham, because you, know, you have this beautiful sister. And then God holds back this king so that he never touches her. And he comes to him in the middle of the night. And he says to him, hey, you're going to be a dead man. This is this man's wife. And he says, hey, listen, he told me he was his sister. And then here is as if God's saying, okay, well, I'm going to deal with him later. I'm telling you now, that's his wife. You give him back. And this man's a prophet. He will pray for you and you will be healed. We think also about where all this comes from, this intercessory prayer. The model is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. He does the work of the priest. He intercedes for you. He's at God's right hand, interceding for you even now. Here we think about how great it is when we have one who is interceding for us. You realize that Christ did the perfect work of the priest. He laid down his life on behalf of sinners. Here, it's very easy for us to think, why should I care about anyone else other than myself? Well, we have the perfect example of Jesus Christ. You ask, why should he care for anyone else? Well, God commanded him to. It was part of God's plan that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, so that you and I might have eternal life, that we might have the forgiveness of sins. This is the work of the priest. He willingly laid down his life. He thought about uh, the, the needs of his people. He thought about our sin. And he provided the perfect sacrifice. And after doing so, his work wasn't done. That part was done. His work of interceding for us as priest continues. And so also, for you to think about others, for you to think about their needs, for you to think about their spiritual state. This is how you as a Christian work as an ambassador for Christ, that we would intercede for others. This is a ministry in which every Christian ought to be involved in. Here we think about how this very matter of the basic things in life. When we look at Acts chapter 6, we have the apostles. They noticed a certain group of widows were being neglected in their rations of food. Notice their decision. They said, we should not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer in order to wait tables. They didn't say, this work of waiting tables is unimportant. They said, this work is important. Let us appoint other men to do it. These were the, the first deacons. But their focus was, as, as elders... Their focus was the ministry of the word and prayer. You think about the basic things in life. It's not as if as men, they graduated on from that. You have two tools in the toolbox. One is the word of God. The other is prayer. They never graduated from them. They continued to exercise them. You think also about the matter of what does it look like for a man if he is going to be a minister, a ruling elder, a deacon. There 
They're not, hey, you need to start doing this, and then you could be an officer. It's the congregation identifying them. Hey, this is what they're already doing. They're prioritizing the ministry of the word and prayer. That these are the people who are faithful and diligent, exercising these things, ministry of word and prayer. And that this is what every Christian ought to be doing as it is. Man or woman or child. That we ought to be diligent in that prayer. Here we think also about group prayer. So there's individual prayer, intercessory prayer. We have group prayer. Group prayer, for example, uh, not just one-on-one. Intercessory prayer oftentimes can be one-on-one or it might be you're by yourself praying for someone else. But group prayer, being in a group, coming to a prayer meeting. Here we think about how important it is that a church, a body, a family pray together. Here I, I think back to the description about Matthew Henry. He wrote this great commentary series from Genesis to Revelation. And people ask, well, how did he get all this learning? I think his answer was, I got it from my parents, my father, as he led the devotions for our family. Think about how how well educated his father was then. You get some idea, right? That was a lot of his training, is hearing his father uh, lead lead his family in daily devotions and in prayer. Here, we think about the many excuses that come up regarding prayer meetings. Will these excuses fly in other areas of life? For example, you look at, would you, if, if you had a bad night's sleep, would you necessarily call your boss and say, hey, I'm not coming in? Probably not. You could still go. What about if you, uh, <clears throat> if you overslept your alarm? Would you, if you, if you made an appointment to go play golf at six in the morning? Ah, I don't know if any of you play golf, but six a.m. Would you, would you oversleep the alarm? No, you would make sure that these uh, several alarms are set so you would be there. You also wouldn't, sh- wouldn't also pass up that tea time in golf if you were tired. And here we think about. How important is this work of praying for all the saints? You look also at the pattern of your life and mine. What pattern do we set for our children? We must be thinking not only about ourselves. We must be thinking about those around us. We must be thinking about those within our households. We must be thinking about a lineage. What are we setting regarding our priorities to our children, if we say, you know what, we're just going to skip the times of prayer that we have together as a church body. So that's the types of prayer. We have fourth, the tenacity of prayer. In verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Here, we think about perseverance. We think about perseverance. The description about perseverance is to bear up patiently under a heavy load. Here, my family, we we watched this show together. Uh, It was uh, a South Korean uh, game show called Physical 100. Rather interesting. Uh, And one of of the feats was there was this big, massive load, and they had five contestants. They were supposed to put this heavy load on their back. And, and, and who could hold out the longest? Some people couldn't get the load on them because it was so heavy. And then some people, they dropped within a few minutes, but there were, there were two that, that kept the load on them for like, was it well over an hour? And here, this is called perseverance, bearing up under a heavy load. Here, we think about how God works. He often doesn't give an answer immediately to your prayers. And we ask, why does he do that? It's so that you would persevere. Here, he knows the limitations of people. Example, if you have a toddler, the toddler asks you for something. If you say to the toddler, I'll give it to you in five minutes, that's exactly the same as telling the toddler, no, five minutes, they don't have this concept, five, that's like an eternity, right here. We have five minutes as an adult, it's like, well, you blink and five minutes are gone. 
Well, you think the, the Lord knows that about his children? For those who are spiritually young, of course, when, he, when they pray, uh, they're going to get something sooner, right? A cup of milk in five minutes? No, he, he provides it because he's nurturing and strengthening faith. But as you mature in Christ, well, the answers may not come so fast because he's developing in you perseverance that you would plead with him. That God delights when we come to him. You think about going to your neighbor's house. You can't knock on your neighbor's door too many times. Otherwise, he's going to get annoyed with you and hate you. The Proverbs warn about that. Not so with God. It's, it's not like he ever gets, oh, you've come to me again now for the, the 50th time this morning. God never says that. He delights when we come to him often. He never says, hey, you know what? I have way too many other prayer requests than yours. Listen, don't bother me with that. No, he delights when we come to him. He's infinite. He's not limited by those constraints. And we thank the Lord for that. Here, the whole point of perseverance. The whole point of perseverance is not that you would realize how strong you are, but that you and I would come to see more and more our own weakness and dependence coupled with God's strength. That we persevere, we hold out, we wait for God's answer. He provides. And we must remember that tea, Thanksgiving, my tendency is that check that box, we're done. We don't stop to give thanks for God. God, you, you provided this answer. We prayed for a long time. Here I, I'm reminded about what I heard recently. George Mueller, he was a Christian, uh, a famous Christian in England, was it, that he, he had an orphanage, and we're told that he had uh, two non-Christian friends that he had prayed for, for their salvation, for something like 50 years. He had the privilege, before he died, of witnessing the conversion of one of them. The other, supposedly, was converted after his death. But here, you ask, someone asked him, hey, why are you bothering to pray for these friends? You prayed for them so long. Do you think God will ever save them? And then his answer was simple. He had said, hey, why do you think the Holy Spirit has led me to pray for these brothers, these men, for so long? There's a leading of the Holy Spirit. Here, we ought to trust the Lord, that he is the one who leads us in prayer, that he guides us, that we might not give up that we would not give up so easily, that we would be persistent, that we would persevere. Here we think also the same concept regarding to that end, keep alert. This really should be a different point, but I, I couldn't come up with another T. I, tr I tried to keep alert, that we ought to be vigilant. This was the whole point. Matthew 26, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray. Hey, I'm, I'm going over there. You watch and pray for an hour. And they fell asleep. And you think about how, well, think for a moment. In a time of warfare, for a soldier to doze off, it just might be a capital offense. You understand that? For a man to doze off, to, to fall asleep, it might be a capital offense. Well, what are you talking about? If he was a sentry, he was responsible for, for guarding the wall, guarding the fort, if he fell asleep, that is a capital offense. Because he's supposed to be watching for everyone else's safety. Here we think about how important prayer is, that we watch and pray that we not fall into temptation. How important it is that you have various people watching for us. You ask, why, why is it that God has given the church spiritual leaders, ministers, elders? Part of our duty is we're supposed to be watchers. We're supposed to be prayers, prayer, prayerers. We're supposed to be people who are praying for you, watching. So, so sometimes people think, hey, why are you meddling in my life? Listen, we have a duty to care for you. That's, that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to keep alert, that you're supposed to keep alert for yourself. You're supposed to keep alert for your household. You're supposed to keep alert for your brother. When, when Cain said to God, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are. He was wrong. The answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. 
So this is the tenacity of prayer. That God desires that we would be people who do not give up. That we would take the kingdom of God by force. That we go to him in prayer. The fifth point is the topic of prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here, we ought to say, as a caveat, there's nothing wrong about praying for yourself and your needs. You're responsible to do that. You're called to do that. You're expected to do that. You're supposed to pray for your own needs. No one knows your needs better than you. And the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for those things. You were supposed to pray for those around you also. That you must get your own house in order before you may consider the needs of others. So whatever order that you need, uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in you so that you're not this hot mess and, and that you're taking up the resources of others. That, that's okay at times, right? But here, part of, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is decently and in order. So your life is ordered. And then not only are you so consumed by by the, your, your daily necessities, but then he gives you the ability that is, huh, now that I have a moment to breathe, I'm looking out and I'm seeing that there's needs around me. This is what God desires, that we would not only be consumed about our own needs, Philippians 2, that we would not think not only of our own needs, but also for the needs of others. And by the work and leading of the Holy Spirit, he turns us so that we can focus on others. In the body of Christ. In particular, the question comes up what about Christ's church? You claim to have a love for Christ. You cannot love a man and not love his wife also. You cannot love Christ without also loving his bride, the church. Here, think for a moment about our fellowship meal that we're going to have. Prayer meetings, etiquette for prayer meetings, very similar to etiquette for a fellowship meal. Okay, here, why would someone bring food to a fellowship meal? I mean, there might be uh, dietary restrictions, I I, I give you that, but let's say outside of that. You make all this delicious food, you bring it to a fellowship meal, why would you only eat your food? It wouldn't make sense. Because you, you sampled the food when you cooked it to make sure it was good. And then... If there's leftovers, you're going to have that food to eat afterwards. So you show up at a fellowship meal. What you should be doing is, is eating other people's food. This is part of a fellowship meal. You share. This is part of a prayer meeting. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Etiquette is when you go to a prayer meeting, if everyone prayed, they shared these requests, they all prayed for their own requests, how is that different than everyone praying in their own rooms by themselves? And so also, we come to a prayer meeting, the expectation is, hey, I'm going to eat my food when I have leftovers at home. So I will pray for other people and trust that they will pray for me. I'm going to trust that they're going to eat the food that I brought and that I will eat the food that they brought. And we'll hear and we'll see even as the Holy Spirit gives them insight, hey, this is how they prayed for this problem. And hey, solutions come and insight is given and encouragement is offered. And so also others follow up with you. Later, the next day, or the next week. Hey, how did that go for you? This prayer request. Here. We think also. Praying for all the saints. Perhaps some of you Christians, or or your children are wondering. Well, where do non-Christians fit in? Well, first off, we ought to say. That uh, this passage is not exclusive. Other other passages tell us that we ought to pray for non-Christians. But we could also reason is we're praying for the non-Christians so that they might become saints in Christ. This is why we ought to pray for non-Christians. This is the work of intercession. Uh, those who are in need of prayer are, are those who are outside of Christ. If any need prayer, it's those people. Family members, friends, neighbors, loved ones. Here, we ought to understand though that the needs of the household, Galatians 6, that we ought to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But we also pray for non-Christians that they might, might know and understand and believe upon Jesus Christ for eternal life. 
So here, as we think through this whole matter of praying in the Spirit, we ought to see that we should be dependent on God all the time, that we ought to come to Him often in prayer. God will not be worn out by our coming to Him again and again, that we ought to pray all kinds of prayers, that we ought to think through even the way that prayer is structured, that we ask ourselves, is prayer like coming to God in a vending machine. We, we don't see vending machines anymore so much, maybe for a soda vending machine, but you, you used to have these, these snacks and then you, you, you would pull this handle and out pops this, this, uh, this bag of chips or a candy bar. We ought not to think of God merely as this vending machine. As maturity comes, you see that the pattern, the pattern is there's more so the focus of giving praise and adoring God. And how much more that should be part of our prayers. And it is. I admit that I, I need to grow in that area. We think even about how the instructions given in the scriptures. Philippians 4. That we ought not to be anxious about anything. But by prayer. By thanksgiving. Meaning that as you think through. This is, these are the things that I can give thanks for. And as you do that more and more. You realize. Wait a minute. I, I need not be anxious. There's no reason why I need to be fearful. God's provided for me. Counting our blessings is part of the solution for us not to have anxiety. And you see that that's God's design. The more we give thanks, God, you've provided all these things for me, things none of which I've earned or deserved. And as we think through that, wow, what am I worrying about? God has provided me everything that I need for life and godliness. And that you and I would be those who are able to think about the needs of others, especially those who are outside of Christ. But we also would think about those who are in Christ next to us, that we would desire to meet their needs and to build them up and to encourage them by our prayers. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy to us.